Shall we turn now in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 27? It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray you, your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out to the field and get me some venison. Make me some savory barbecued venison, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. Genesis 27, 1 through 4. It is interesting at this point, Isaac is becoming feeble. He's pretty much bedfast. He's blinded now as a result of his age. He feels that his death is approaching, but it is interesting that death does not come to Isaac for many, many years. After this experience, Jacob had fled to Haran, spent 20 years there, came back, and Isaac was still alive. And so sometimes you think you've about had it. You think, I'm going fast, but you know, don't give up. The Lord still allows you to hang on. And you know, Hebrews 9:27, it is appointed unto us once to die, and after that, the judgment. We don't always know the appointments of God. But indeed, I feel that it's tragic to be, in the case of Isaac, to be an invalid for such a long period of time. That is tragic. I think that death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person, though. I think that when the body can no longer really function in its God-given manner and purpose, when the body can no longer really express me, what I am, here confined to a bed, almost blind or, for all practical purposes, blind and all and helpless, having to be waited on, and for the spirit just to remain in the body, I think is a hard thing. It's a hard thing upon the person that is lying there. It's a hard thing upon the persons that have to take care of them. And many times in cases like that, as far as the person is concerned, much better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. And to just have your spirit linger on in the body, why does the spirit linger on? Why doesn't God release the spirit sooner from the body? I don't know. These are the things that are all in the hands of God. It really isn't mine to question the ways of God. But here's a man that God loved. Here's a man that was a servant of God. And yet we find his body incapacitated and yet his life continuing for many, many years to come in the state of semi-invalidism. And so feeling that he's going to die, he calls his son Esau, that he go out and get some venison, fix it and spice it up like just like he liked it, and bring it to him that he might eat and give him the blessing. Now earlier, Esau cared nothing of the birthright. A profane man not interested in spiritual things not interested in the promises of God and the fulfillment of the promises of God. He could care less about the birthright, but he is interested in the blessing. But the blessing really went with the birthright. The blessing came upon the oldest son, but he had sold that position, the birthright, but still he was desiring the blessing of his father. Now, indeed, it was the purpose of God that Jacob should receive the birthright, and it was also the providence of God, the choice of God, that Jacob should receive the blessing. 
it is an interesting thing before the twins were born when they were striving and fighting with each other in Rebecca's womb. She could not figure out all of the activity. She prayed and God said, there are two nations striving in your womb. They are diverse from each other. And before they were ever born, God said, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, this was declared of God before their birth, that the selection of Jacob might be of the sovereign purposes of God, rather than the deservings of man. God, knowing in advance their nature, their character, knowing in advance Esau being a profane person and being a materialist and not really concerned with spiritual things, knowing before they were ever born the attitudes of their lives, God chose Jacob over Esau, that it might be of election by God's choice and not by man's deservings. Now, the election of God is something that is difficult for us to understand. It is really impossible for us to think as God thinks. I cannot think without foreknowledge. I just can't do it. God does. And this, it's impossible for me to put my mind in God's mind, to think as God thinks. And thus it's wrong for me to judge God for the way he thinks because I can't even know how he thinks. Because when God thinks or when God looks at a situation, he looks at it with this foreknowledge, knowing already in advance what's going to be. We don't know that. And thus when we select someone, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Uh, say we have someone who comes in for a job interview. The resume looks great. It looks like, oh, they just be just right. And you hire them. You think, oh my, this is great. This is the employee we needed. And they turn out to be just horrible. We made the wrong selection. Now, if we knew six months ago what was going to be in six months, when we hired them, we would have never hired them. We'd had never have selected them. If we had the foreknowledge and knew what was going to happen because we had selected them for this particular job, we would have never hired them in the first place. But we don't have that kind of knowledge, and thus we select and we elect and we hope for the best. Now, if you had the capacity of foreknowledge, wouldn't it be rather stupid to elect a loser? If you had this kind of ability to think with foreknowledge, wouldn't it be sort of dumb to select someone you know is going to not make it? Of course. So how can you fault God for the fact that he makes selections because he does it in according to his foreknowledge? I can't think that way. And I really can't fault God because he can think that way and make his selection by his foreknowledge. So God knew in advance concerning Esau concerning Jacob, and according to this advanced knowledge that God had, he selected that the elder should serve the younger, and that through the younger one, his promises for the nation and for the world should be fulfilled. Now, Jacob came to an awareness of this. Of course, his mother knew it before he was ever born, because she had prayed, and she said, God, what's going on inside me? And God told her, there are two nations. And he said, the elder shall serve the younger. So when Jacob came out second, she knew that Jacob was the one that God had selected for the blessings and that the purposes of God will be accomplished through Jacob rather than Esau. Their mother knew that from their birth. And knowing that, she favored Jacob. But Esau, not really caring about the spiritual things, manifested the very 
character and nature that God knew he had from the beginning, the reason why God rejected him. Now, Isaac's whole request, go out and get me some nice barbecued venison that I might bless you. You know, the kind that I really love to eat. What a cheap basis for blessing. Just because his kid can hunt and get good barbecued meat, that's all that Isaac was really caring about. He was going to give the blessing upon the basis of savory meat, where God wanted the blessing to go upon the basis of the purposes of God in the future. So when Rebecca heard Isaac sending Esau out to get this venison, she called Jacob in and she said, now your dad has sent your brother out to get some venison and all. So quickly get me a couple of goats and kill them and I'll fix the meat. I can barbecue that goat to taste like venison. Your dad won't know the difference. And you take it into him that you might receive the blessing. Genesis 27, 5 through 10. Now notice this whole deceptive scheme was coming from Rebecca, but she was putting Jacob up to it. And Jacob objected and said, hey, there's so much difference. Though we're twins, there's so much difference between us. They were fraternal instead of identical twins and so much difference between us that he'll surely discover the fact that I'm not Esau. That guy is so covered with hair, and if he calls me over to feel, he'll see that I'm just smooth, and he's just covered with hair, and we smell different, and everything else. No way we can pull it off. And she said, let me take care of that, and said she wrapped some of the goat fur around his arm and around his neck and covered him with dirt to give him an earthy smell. And so he carried in this barbecued goat that she had fixed in to taste like venison, and he said, here, father. I've got the venison for you that you might eat and bless me. And he said, well, how, how come you got it so fast? And he said, well, the Lord was with me and the deer just came right across my path. As soon as I got out the door, there it was and I got it. And he said, are you sure that that is you, my son Esau? And he said, yes, I'm Esau, he says. Well, come over here close to me. And so Jacob went over close and the old man felt his arm and he held out the fur that he had tied around his arm and said, yeah, it's the voice of Jacob, but it's sure the hairy arm of Esau. And he ate the venison and he blessed Jacob. Genesis 17, 11 through 25. Now, the thing is, was it God's will that Jacob received the blessing? Yes. Did Jacob and Rebekah know that it was God's will that Jacob received the blessing? Yes, they did. But they made a mistake. And that is they knowing what God intended endeavored to help God out in fulfilling his purpose and thus went into the deception which was a ploy of their of theirs to help God fulfill his will and fulfill his purpose why is it that we think that God can't do his work without our help why is it that we think that God is so dependent upon us to accomplish his purposes and such is not the case God can accomplish his purposes apart from our help. God will accomplish his purposes apart from us if necessary. You remember when Esther was faced with that dangerous task of going into her husband, the king, uninvited. According to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, if she would go in without his asking for her to come, she would be grabbed by the guards and put to death unless he would raise his scepter to her. No one goes into the king, not even his wife, unless the king has called for them. And to dare to come into the court without being called meant instant death unless the king himself at that moment would give you the reprieve by holding up his scepter. 
And yet the people of God were in danger of extermination by a foolish decree that the king had made. And Mordecai came to Esther and he said, look, perhaps God has brought you into the kingdom for just a time as this or just an hour as this. Esther 4.14. In other words, maybe your whole life is going to be fulfilled in this one hour that God has brought you to the position just for this purpose. And she explained the difficulty, the law of the Medes and the Persians. He hasn't called me for a long time. I don't know if he's mad at me or whatever. I'll go in there, and if he doesn't raise a scepter, my head is gone. It's all over for me. And Mordecai said to her, do you think that at this time, you can altogether escape the edict of the king. You're Jewish too, he said. If you should fail at this time, their deliverance shall arise from another quarter. God will save his people. He's not going to let his people get wiped out. If you fail, God is still not going to fail. But you and your failure will lose your own life. Sort of he who seeks to save his life will lose it. And he who lose his life for my sake, Jesus said, the same will find it. Matthew 16, 25. And Esther was in that very position. Mordecai said, look, don't think that you're going to escape this decree. But if you at this time altogether fail, their deliverance shall arise. He had that confidence that God will accomplish his purpose. Though you may fail, the purposes of God cannot fail. But what happens is that you'll lose out the reward and the blessings that could be yours by being that instrument that God uses to accomplish his work. Now, the work of God is going to be accomplished. What God has willed and purposed shall come to pass. We can be the instruments through which it happens. If we yield ourselves to God, he'll work through us. If we fail to yield ourselves, God will still do his work. And yet we have lost the reward and the benefit and the joy of being the instrument. But the work of God is never dependent upon our deception or our conniving or our scheming. We don't have to scheme and connive to get the work done. I look around today at people who are endeavoring to do the work of God. And there are so many people who have great visions for what they can do for God. All they need is money. And so they've gone into all kinds of schemes to raise money in order to do the work of God. And when you read their letters, the whole insinuation of the letter is, here's a glorious work of God that is depending now upon you sending in your contribution. And if you fail, the work of God is not going to be done. And they really lay those heavy ones on you, and you've got to send it in, and here's the work of God. It can be done. It cannot be done unless you respond. If it's a true work of God, it's going to be done. If it is a true work of God, then it is worth responding to. But yet God is able to do his work independent of us. God is not dependent upon us ever. We are dependent on him always. So their mistake and their fault here was not a fault of not believing God, nor was it a fault of not believing the purposes of God. They were both faithful, believing God, believing the purposes of God. Their mistake was thinking that God could not fulfill his purposes without their help. I know what you want to do, God, and 
I just don't see how you can do it without my help. And so I get in there and I start scheming and conniving to help God get his work done. Never. He doesn't need that kind of help. And so Jacob pulled it off and Isaac blessed Jacob, verse 26. Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and he kissed his father and his father smelled the smell of his raiment. Genesis 27, 26, 27, looking for that earthy smell. And he blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. Genesis 27, 27. It smells like the outdoor fields. Therefore, God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine and let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curse you and blessed be he that blesses you. Genesis 27, 28 through 29. So somewhat the blessing that God had pronounced upon Abraham is passed on to him. That is the blessing upon those that would bless him, the curse upon those that would curse him, but giving to him the fatness of the earth, prosperity and servants. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of the blessing of Jacob, and Jacob was scarcely gone out of the presence of his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he also had made the savory meat, and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? And he said, Well, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and began to shake. He said, Who? And where is he that has taken the venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceedingly bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And he said, your brother came with subtlety, and he has taken away your blessing. And he said, is he not rightly called heel catcher? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, haven't you reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him your Lord, and all of his brothers have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now to you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you not but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Genesis 27, 31 through 38. Now in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as we deal with the men of faith in the Old Testament, this particular incident is brought into view. In verse 16 and 17 of chapter 12, where he's talking about the men of faith in the Old Testament. And he tells us to follow peace with all men, and without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, be careful about yourself. Follow after peace with all men. Don't allow bitterness to fill your heart. Any root of bitterness coming in will trouble you and will defile many people around you. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
For you know that when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. He sought what carefully? Not repentance. He wasn't crying here repentance tears at all. What he was what was he crying about? He was crying about the loss of the blessing. Many people get confused and think, oh, poor Esau. He tried to repent and he was crying in repentance and he couldn't find a place of repentance, though he sought repentance with tears. No, he never did seek repentance. What he was seeking was the blessing and what he was crying about was the fact that there was no blessing for him. Had he really repented, then God surely would have done something for him. God has said that a broken and contrite spirit, he will not turn away. Psalm 51, 7. No man has yet truly repented, but what God did not accept him and bless him. But this was not the repentance at all, nor tears of repentance. And don't confuse thinking, oh, the poor guy was just there weeping before God and crying out in repentance, but he couldn't receive it. No, that's not so. You read the story here and the tears were not at all tears of repentance. Actually, there were tears of anger. There were tears of bitterness. There were tears of lost blessing that he was desiring. He really didn't seek spiritual things. He wasn't really seeking God. He was only seeking the blessing of his father. And when it was gone, when his brother had taken it, his tears were tears of bitterness, anger, hatred against his brother, but not at all tears of repentance. There was no place for, for repentance. And that's what the scripture is saying. He didn't, he didn't really repent at all. There was no change in Esau's heart, only a weeping over the fact that he had lost the blessing. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven from above. And by your sword shall you live and shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you shall have the dominion that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing, whereas his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. And then I will slay my brother. Genesis 27, 39 through 41. Yeah, my dad's going to die. And as soon as he's dead, I'm going to kill that brother of mine. Didn't want to do it while his dad was alive because his dad might curse him. So I'll wait till daddy's dead. And then I'm going to kill him. Notice the bitterness. This is what Hebrews was warning about. Lest any root of bitterness, a profane person Esau, he became very embittered over this, a root of bitterness defiling him. Now, this hatred of Esau's descendants for Israel continued. Esau became the father of the Edomites, and there was a great hostility throughout history of the Edomites against the Israelites. Many times the Edomites sought to invade the land of Israel. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and needed to pass through the land of the Edomites, the king of Edom met them with his armies and prohibited their passage through the land. The Edomites, of course, have since passed off the scene. The last Edomite that we know is Herod. King Herod of Idume and his family, and there ended the Edomite race. But of course, God has preserved Israel 
to the present day. Now, this threat of Esau was heard by his mother, Rebekah. And so she called Jacob and she said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is comforting himself in the thought that he's going to kill you. Genesis 27:42. He's finding comfort in that right now. He's really mad. He's really bitter. And he's just comforting himself by his intention to kill you. Therefore, she said, obey my voice and arise and flee to Laban, my brother, to Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury is turned away, until your brother's anger is turned away from you and he forget that which was done to him. Then I will send and fetch you from there, for why should I be deprived of both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from one of these wild girls around here, then what good is my life going to be? Genesis 27, 43 to 46. And so she's setting up that Isaac will send Jacob away in peace, saying that these daughters-in-law were just really a real vexation and a problem and all, and she wanted her son Jacob to go and get a wife from her own family. Somehow it takes away a little bit from the romance of the story as it goes to realize at this point that Jacob, <laughs> he's 70 years old, getting ready to run away from home. But these patriarchs were living to twice this the age they currently are, which is normal today. So you have to really sort of cut the age factor in half in order that you might totally understand the virility and all of the person at 70 years because they live to 140, 150 years old. Therefore, 70 years wasn't really that old for them at that time. But it does sort of throw a different light on the whole thing. You don't picture some teenage kid running off home at this stage, he was close to 70 years old. Rebecca said, stay there for a few days until your brother's anger has subsided. But Esau did not cool off in a hurry, for word never did come to Jacob from his mother to come home, because as Jacob was gone, his mother died. And so he never saw his mother again, unfortunately. And of course, the sad byproduct of this bit of deception is that they had connived together is that the mother was deprived of ever seeing her son whom she loved Jacob again she died she died while Jacob was in Haran now if you remember the story earlier when the servant had gone to Haran to get a bride for Isaac that Rebecca came out to the well and he said give me a drink and she said sure I'll get water for your camels too and that was the little thing that he had set up that that he would know the will of God for the one who was to be the bride of Isaac and how the servant explained this whole thing. And he gave to her a gold nose ring and a couple of golden bracelets. And she ran home and said, oh, one of Abraham's servants is here and he's looking, you know, for they didn't know what his purposes was, but he's just here and he's got a lot of camels. And she showed the gold earrings and the gold nose ring. And Laban, her brother, came running out to meet him. Oh, come stay in our house, Laban said seeing the gold, he was, well, he was attracted to this and was a very gracious host. And Laban was active in the negotiations to send Rebecca back. She was his sister. And so he is the uncle of Jacob. And it's important that you sort of fix that relationship in your mind as we move along now into chapter 28. Laban is the brother of Jacob's mother, the brother of Rebecca, and he will be coming soon into our scene. So next time, 
chapter 28. Shall we pray? Father God, bring our hearts close to you, Lord. You are our Father. You are our Papa. Let us know that in our heart, that what we ask of you, if we ask of your will, it will be given to us. Lord God, let us not be deceptive in the way that we live. Let us not wander in the way that we live. Let us be focused on you, Lord. Let us ever race towards the prize, which is your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, give us a blessing. Give us peace. Father, we ask these things in your wonderful Son's name, Jesus. Amen.